Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today we have a special guest. His name is Brian Byrne. Boom. I said it wrong, Brian, didn't I? <laughs> I thought well, you know, you, you, you kind of combined the, uh, the right like way to say it with uh, the Americanized <laughs> way. <laughs> well, that works. Okay. okay, so so Brian is a special guest for us listeners because um, he has a really interesting story about his origins in the Pacific Northwest, and we're going to get there. Um, and so, but he also has a book coming out that I'm pretty excited about, and we're going to talk a lot about um, that book coming out. He's going to be visiting the Pacific Northwest on a little book tour for that. So, so right now, currently. Um, Brian, give us a little bit of location of where you're living now. It's not the Northwest, but where do you live now? Uh, diametrically opposite almost. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, in Harlem, uh, New York City. Yeah. Now, are you originally from Harlem? No, I'm, I'm from Baltimore, um, mm-hmm. a little bit outside of Baltimore in, in like a suburb, um, like a satellite city okay. outside of Baltimore. Um, mm-hmm. Ellicott City. We're famous for uh, floods. That's about oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least they're famous for something, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so before we started to record, listeners, I was asking Brian a little bit about his Northwest history. So, so I'm going to let him tell you the story because I think it's, it's really fun and exciting. So share, Brian, with our listeners a little bit of what you're telling me about your connection to the Northwest. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, like I was telling, telling you before we got on, I, um, I graduated from the University of Maryland uh, in 2010 and uh, I was kind of, I knew I wanted to write and I knew that like, I, I would, I wanted to give myself as much time to write as possible. And so I didn't want to start working for my dad's, uh, in sign language interpreting company right away, mm-hmm. which I knew mm-hmm. kinda, I was going to kind of fall into at some point. Um, so yeah, I, my friend, John, whom I'd known since middle school and I went to college with him, he had already gotten a job at Amazon and, you know, he was just working so hard that he didn't have time to really socialize and, like he just figured why not have like, you know, one of my best friends come out here and live with me. And so I went and I bought a like $200 twin mattress and I threw it in a corner of his apartment. And I lived like that for like eight or nine months. Um, and I just wrote and I worked really just like, like menial jobs, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I spent two, two and a half years in Seattle, maybe I'm not sure. I I can't quite remember, but I loved every minute of it. I, I, um, I, I took my partner, Katie, um, on a trip there about a year and a half ago or so. And she's, she's like, when are we going to move here? <laughs> exactly. I mean, ev- a lot of people say that, you know, they come for work, like for Amazon or other places and, or they have friends and they come visit and they want to stay forever. Now you must've brought, uh, Katie over during the summertime. I can imagine because <laughs> that's the best time to be here. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was actually early October. Oh, um, another favorite it, time. Yeah. <laughs> it, was not, it wasn't bad, but, um, you know, you know, people, I, I do think people kind of, uh, exaggerate a little bit the, the, the weather isn't as bad to me as the darkness in the winter. Yeah. That's the part that really gets to me. That um, is the hardest part for a lot yeah. of um, people that don't know in the Pacific Northwest. It really does get dark early in the wintertime, about four sometimes in yeah. the afternoon, and it stays dark, you know, for a while. And then, you know, we get into our summer months where, you know, we have daylight savings, which I heard they just passed something about not having daylight savings, which I'm kind That's of freaking a good idea. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm like so excited about that, but, but no. And I honestly think that that darkness is not so much for me either the rain. Cause I can deal with the rain. I've been in the Northwest my whole life. I was, I'm a, uh-huh. a native, um, but the darkness makes just great opportunity for writing. Cause I don't want to go out and do anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you know what, uh, just to kind of like piggyback on what you just said, um, you know, I was doing a lot of menial work, uh, my first year there, but then I got a graveyard shift job, um, uh, at a, at, at the same apartment complex that, um, we lived in initially this place called Aspira, um, which is in the Denny triangle in Seattle. Um, I, I got a graveyard shift concierge job there, which basically was like, yeah, it was really tiring and kind of depressing at times, but it was like, it just gave me so much time to write, you know? So did you get to actually write while you're on the job? Like they allowed you to work on a computer and stuff? 
Yeah. And, and the right, the writing was, they were fine with, um, uh, but I, I, I took it a little further than that. And I would go up and hang out with residents cause they would invite me and stuff like that. Oh, I would too. Thank <laughs> God is like total story quality there. I'm sure. <laughs> and and, and uh, one of my, one of my main characters, uh, Peter is, you know, he, he works as a graveyard shift, like more like security, um, at, at Aspira. Uh, but yeah, so I used a lot of that experience. Oh, what a great experience. That's exciting. We're going to dive into the, the little about your book and stuff here a little bit, but I got a lot more questions for you. My listeners know I like to ask lots of questions before we actually dive into the, the work. And hey, listeners, if you hear my dog in the background, I apologize. I'm leaving her outside today because she's known to be on the podcast a little too much. So now she's (laughs) She's barking unhappily, but we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> I, could, I could say the same thing. Uh, my Our dog, Rosetta, is, she's, she's tired right now. So that's a, uh, that's Mine well. should be because they just had a big event with somebody at the door today. I work from home and then I do my podcast too from home. And so I have signs out in front that say, please, no soliciting, no dog. You know, my dogs go crazy because I work. Um, on the phone and in meetings all the time. So my dogs will go crazy. Uh-huh. And somebody came to the door twice today. And I was like, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you read signs? <laughs> anyway, yeah. so. Yeah, I work from home as well. And um, all of my colleagues, they, like, almost all of them have dogs. So, like, at any point, one, like, one of our dogs will just erupt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally that way. So let's talk a little bit about now you mentioned it a little bit about when you were, you came to Seattle before you knew you were going to come back and, you know, go back to work for your dad's company. I think your dad's company is very fascinating. So share with us, is that your day job now? Do you work as a sign language interpreter now? That is my day job. I'm, I'm not an interpreter. Um, mm-hmm. I work more on the administrative side. Um, mm-hmm. I do, I would just, I guess I would call it business development, um, like kind of responding to, um, solicitations for work, you know, like writing proposals and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I work from home, uh, pretty much like almost everyone works from home, um, Mm -hmm. with my dad's company, which has been a big change. I mean, there used to be a a big office that we paid tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, times have really changed, but, um, I tell you working from home for me has been way more productive. So I, you know, don't know why companies don't really gravitate towards it, but yeah, I think you have to have high energy employees that can manage themselves. <laughs> Otherwise it's a disaster. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And also I, I, I honestly do think it helps when like you can kind of work on your own schedule, at least for yeah. me. Yeah. You know, it, exactly. I know when I'm, you know, like I'll work way later into the night than most people. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you're most productive is I think that's what lends to remote work a little bit. My job, I actually call students on a regular basis. So I have actual appointments that I do and I do meetings, but I get a lot of work done in the evening when everybody's, when I know no one's going to be bugging me. (laughs) I do that too with my writing. So, yeah. So, but do you know sign language? Did you, did you learn sign language growing? Cause sign language, I'm, I'm just fascinated. It's the most beautiful thing to see interpreters when I go to concerts or I've worked with them very closely in on campus roles that I've had in universities. So I'm curious to you, did you learn or do you know sign language? Yeah. Um, so both, I, I'm not sure if, um, if you're aware, uh, like, you know, what we sent, what info we sent you, but, uh, both of my parents are actually deaf. So, um, I, I, I sign language was my first language. Um, and, I actually probably was a better signer back when I was like four or five years old. And then as soon as I went to preschool and like basically started talking to friends and stuff, um, I just, I was so excited and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if this played into um, like, you know, played a role in my parents kind of just, they began speaking to me really, you know? Um, and so I still sign very proficiently, but I'm not as fluent as I, as I was when I was really young. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, I think that, you know, it's a language. So it's like, in, I work with students that are um, working on coding or uh, network security, you know, uh, the Amazon guys I train. <laughs> so that kind of thing. And it's like a language, any language, if you don't use it, you kind of lose it a little bit. So yep. Yeah, for so. sure. For sure. And I, yeah, I actually, uh, when I was in grad school for my MFA at Sarah Lawrence, I, my mom's old, uh, college roommate who taught her sign language. Cause my mom didn't know sign language until she oh. went to Gallaudet, which is the, like the world's biggest, uh, deaf university. Um, and she didn't know until she went. So she learned from her roommate and, uh, you know, they've remained friends and she lives, uh, her roommate Maureen lives on the Upper East Side here in New York. So when I was in grad school here, I, I went to her house, her apartment, 
uh, once a week and I kind of just like brushed up on my, on my sign language. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, yeah. it's definitely a skill that I think is useful. Um, I have some amazing friends that were interpreters, like I said, for a campus that I worked at and they're just beautiful, beautiful people. And I just, I think it's the most beautiful thing when I see them. I'm, I'm always mesmerized by it. So, yeah, it so, yeah. So what, this is a question I asked Brian, all my um, authors that come on, it's kind of one of my stumper questions. I don't know if I, I don't think I prepared you for it. So it'll be fun. Um, what's one thing you would like new readers or listeners that are listening to us, they don't know you. So what's one thing you like them to know about you? doesn't have to be about writing, but if it's about your writing, that's great. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, and honestly, yeah, no, I think my answer will link back to like, you know, growing up with deaf parents, um, they call us CODAs. That's like uh-huh. the acronym for child yeah. of deaf adults. Um, but I guess like I, because of that and like because I was exposed to difference so at such an early age, um, I, I think that's what kind of instilled a very unconventional mindset. I've always kind of been – I've always questioned conventions. That's uh-huh. like one, one of my biggest character traits, uh, I guess maybe pr- – or, or the one I'm <laughs> – one of the ones I'm most proud of, I guess. Um, but yeah, so I kind of do that in all facets of my life, like um, – just challenging norms and mores in ways that I, I find like rational and reasonable, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I guess in terms of my writing, um, it's not, it's not like in your face or anything, but, uh, but you know, I don't write like, uh, exactly traditional narratives, you know, mm-hmm. it, like I don't, I don't write linear narratives. Um, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty maximalist writer. Um, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm very experimental, but I'm like, you know, I like to play around, you know, so I guess it comes through in my writing. Nice. Nice. I like it. That's a great introduction to you from that question. So very good. Very good. Um, So when did you realize that you were an author or a writer? You know, did it, was it simultaneous? Were you always writing? um, And then you kind of grew up and then you launched into actually writing and publishing and we'll get on your publishing journey soon. But was there an aha moment for you? Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, actually, you know what? Yeah, there might have been. So mm-hmm. I, I knew I was a decent writer, um, kind of like at the end of high school, my English teachers just constantly commented and encouraged me to keep writing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time my senior year English teacher just like, he, he called me up to his desk. I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> and, and he just he just wanted to tell me how much he enjoyed the, the like, uh, it was some... I don't know if it was a journal entry. We always had, you know, we had these like yeah. weekly composition assignments or something. And, and so I'd kind of get feedback from my teachers. And then, but when I got to college, I actually got really into guitar. Um, oh, okay. And so that, that actually became my number one passion for me for a couple of years. But, but amid all of that kind of betwixt like my guitar uh, affair, I guess, if you'll call it, <laughs> um, I, I read, I read Emerson. I read this essay. Uh, I read self-reliance by Emerson and, Mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, yeah, that was like an aha moment for me. It was like, Oh wow. I didn't know. I didn't know you could like write like this. Uh, this is so substantial, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and then, yeah, uh, I started writing soon after that. And then a couple years after that, I started writing every day. And Mm -hmm. that was when I, yeah, I, I at some point, after that, I committed to just writing every day. Awesome. And that that's where I think a big key for writers moving into authorship and actually commitment to the craft is where they get is that writing every day where you can't, you're not happy unless you are doing that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you have to, it's like breathing, right? <laughs> yes. No, I mean, it definitely, um, in a way saved my life. I didn't exactly, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't exactly the, uh, most gentle child. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it I get it. I've said it before. Writing has definitely saved my life and has saved my sanity. I can tell you that much yeah. too. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it, it channeled a lot of, the, a lot of that energy in the right direction. Fantastic. Well, let's go back one little step there. So do you still play your guitar? Cause I hope you do. Cause I'm, I'm married to a musician and it's like, once you get the bug, you got to keep the bug going. Cause it's a very creative outlet. <laughs> I, you know, I wish it's funny. I picked up a, uh, I picked up a guitar for the first time in a while the other day. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was at a friend's house actually. Oh, our, uh, our, uh, my book designer's house. Oh, uh, we okay. were like a little happy hour. Um, and yeah, her, her, her fiance started playing and I played a little bit with him. I don't play as much as I, w- I, I used to, I wish I did, Yeah. Uh, but you know, having a full-time job and then mm-hmm. 
writing a book, all this stuff. It's just hard, you know? Oh, I know. Trust me, I know. Yeah, I spent 11 years of our first part of our marriage, 11 years traveling full-time with my husband and his group, his band. And we raised our kids up till they were in school full-time, old enough to go to school full-time um, on the road traveling. So music has like been a huge part of my life. And um, but I'm not a musician in any way, shape, or form. I like to say I sing, but I would never let anybody hear me sing. <laughs> yeah, that, wow, that, that, yeah. that's fascinating. I, I mean, traveling with him must have been... I, I've always wondered what it was like to be like a roadie or something. <laughs> well, there's, there's a couple books that are going to be coming out someday in my future around it. I'll just tell you that oh, much because cool. it, was, it, was it was a fun, exciting part of our life and challenging. So, you know, with anything, there's some good writing material out of it. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your publishing journey because our listeners don't know this, um, but I do because you know I did the research a little bit into you. You actually have a pretty amazing community that you're working with. And um, from my understanding, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, are you also, you're the co-founder um, and editor of a publishing, is it self-publishing or is it a full-fledged company that you have? It's a, it's a full-fledged company. Um, so yeah, uh, th- this is kind of where the story comes a little bit full circle because, uh, basically what happened is, um, I'll start a couple years ago, um, is when I, I got an agent at the writer's house. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, obviously just like ecstatic, ecstatic. I was just, you know, I, I thought I had kind of made it, you know? Um, you know, it's just like, this is the same agency that represents like Rachel Kushner, Jonathan mm-hmm. Branson, Ballman, like all these just incredible writers. And, um, and I was just, yeah, I, I thought I had made it. And then about four months after we had started working together, we had already discussed revisions for the novel. He kind of just, he sent me an email and said, you know, he was leaving the industry and I was really bummed out, but he said he was going to pass me along. And then he didn't. Oh. And so kinda, yeah. It was like kind of a slow slide into, <laughs> into <laughs> despair for a while. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And because, you know, I, I, I put my head down and I finished the revisions without really querying anyone else. Um, mm-hmm. but partly because, you know, he said he was going to pass me along and I was kind of waiting, but also because, you know, even after I realized he w- wasn't going to follow through on that, I, I was like, you know, all I can do is put the book into the best shape possible. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I did that and I started querying and despite having an even better novel than I had, you know, than I'd had the first time I started querying, I, I just didn't get any bites, you know, I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, ask for this for the manuscript um and you know technically some of them still have it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it just just didn't happen again and it's you know it's just really ironic because the novel was and is like so much better than that first time I was querying um Mm -hmm. but I you know it was really tough to deal with and uh and so I kind of (laughs) out of (laughs) I guess maybe like you know comical spite I texted my friends from back home we have like a group chat and uh I, I threatened to self-publish my novel. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, be careful what you threaten, right? <laughs> yeah. and so, and so uh, one of our co-founders for the press, um, Dead Rabbits is what our press is called, uh, mm-hmm. John, John Kay, he's the one who invited me to Seattle and he's the one who I lived with and all that stuff. Uh, you know, he texted me, he's like, why don't we just start our own publishing company and start exactly. with your yeah, let's and, go. Uh, I love it. I, I'm yeah. actually pretty energized by that story. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and honestly, it, it's been great. And uh, the first the first order of business for me was hiring Katie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was definitely more integral to this operation than I am, so... So um, for listeners to know, Katie is your partner in crime and in life, right? If I understand right, but she's also pretty instrumental. She's, she's, um, your PR person from what yeah, I understand. Yeah. So, kind yeah. of the publicity arm and, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, she's just, I mean, like I always joke, like kind of it's like half jokingly, but I'm kind of serious. Like, you know, she's her and John, I think are just indispensable to this, you know, like mm-hmm. John is, John is kind of like the brain, you know, he, he know he. I mean, you know, he worked at Amazon for ten years. He can do anything technical, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's he's got a great business mind. And I just feel like I'm lucky enough to find a place where, oh, great, like you know, I know where I fit in. I can read submissions. I'm, you know, I have a pretty good eye. I think yeah. a pretty good taste. So it, it's it's been working out really well so far. So very cool. I love the story. And I, you know, you guys don't probably know my story at all, but a year ago I started this podcast because I've been playing with the idea of of getting my first novel out, but I didn't know where to go. 
Um, I'm working on its final edits. And, um, but I was like, well, do I get an agent? You know, publishing has changed so much since Amazon, you know, but I just didn't know where to go. So I started interviewing authors in my area and then it kind of expanded out, expanded out to a podcast. I'm like, there's so much great stuff that um, everybody's journey is so different, but also there's so much great wealth of resources that there's not really one set path for anybody anymore. There's like um, authorpreneurs, there's people that are, you know, self-published, there's hybrid, there's so much information out there. So that started the genesis of the podcast. And, um, but I have found over and over again with interviewing individuals is your story is great because you found the right team around you to see this dream fulfilled, which is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And like, that's why, um, but one of our, one of our main missions, I guess, uh, for dead rabbits is, is really centered upon a community because we started as a, a reading series Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of like the mascot for that reading series. I didn't start it with them, but I was, I've, I've been like almost at every single reading, you know, like selling raffle tickets and sh- like hushing people in the back. <laughs> You're the librarian of them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I just, I was really fortunate because I mean, like I admire your energy and like your industriousness to like start this podcast and, do, and interview all these people because you know, I definitely, despite how extroverted I can be, I'm also very just like, I'm so, I'm so in artist mode all the time mm-hmm. that it's difficult for me to like, kind of think of these ways, you know? So that's why I was like so hard after I lost that agent. I was like, wow, I, I felt completely bereft, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's where I wanted to do, cause I have a librarian background. So I got to do all the research first because I think, I don't know if I would have recovered if I had found an agent for my first book and then all of a sudden the agent disappeared. Cause I've heard horror stories. So you're not my first yeah. horror story. Right. And being in the music industry, I have a lot of background with different kinds of management and all that kind of stuff. And so I've been through horror stories on the music side of it. And so I don't know if I would have jumped uh, back into it, you know, or been able to do it, but I love your solution. I love that you're fi- found a great thing. And so listeners, um, dead rabbit website will definitely be on the show notes. I want you to go take a look at it. It's actually a really beautiful website. I love your guys' artwork on it. Um, it, I just, and I love the uniqueness of all of it. And I also get your guys' um, your newsletters in my email and I get yeah, so excited. Yeah. I say, this is such great stuff. You guys are doing a great thing. I love it. Yeah. No. And honestly, again, I mean, this is all Katie and John yeah, <laughs> in terms yeah. Cause the, you know, John obviously helped like build off the template. Um, it's, you know, it's a Squarespace site, but yeah, you know, yeah. he set up all the functions and then Katie knew all of these incredible artists around the, uh, around the city, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's just, it all just came together so well. Well, it's beautiful and clean. So bravo on that one. So, so I see a lot of artist websites, trust me. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the book, um, your book, Emerald City. And um, so is it the first book that's going to be coming out with Dead Rabbits? And so give us a timeline of when it will come out and kind of give us the, the, um, whole, the whole deal with the story. Yeah. Uh, th- we, we pointedly wanted my book to be first because we don't want to make any mistakes on other people's books. Oh, uh, how kind of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's just like another, it's part and parcel of our mission. Like, you know, is like, you know, um, we're, we're trying to serve writers, like, you know, mm-hmm. which is not, not always done in the, in the literary industry these days, yeah, yeah, um, whether it's with resources, time, attention, what have you. Um, and you know, we just want to do our best to make sure we're doing right by our writers. Um, so so hopefully we won't make too many mistakes, but you know, if we do, you know, we'll, we'll own them because they'll, they'll be on my book yeah. and that's fine. You know, um, uh, after mine, we have, uh, David Hollander's, uh, second novel and okay. he, he published his debut way back in like, I want to say 2000. Um, it's called LIE, which is, uh, which is like, you know, for the long Island expressway. Yeah. Um, he's a little bit more experimental than me. Um, and I would like to say a lot more talented than me, <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, he was our thesis advisor at Sarah Lawrence and he is everyone's favorite professor at wow. Sarah. Lawrence. I mean, like, it doesn't matter if you're a grad student or an undergrad, the guy is just like a rock star there. And yeah, he's had a, he's had a similar kind of, uh, trajectory in terms of the only difference is he found stardom like really early on. 
Mm-hmm. And then he kind of started writing really experimental stuff and it just never, like he could never follow up with it, you know, because mm-hmm. people just wouldn't take a chance on it. And, and I feel so, like, and I kind of feel like experimental really has its time and place, like for future readers, 10 or 15 years down the road than when it was published. It like has a lifetime afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's true. And it's, and it's so hard. That's why it's like, you know, when people say, you know, think of your audience it really depends what you're trying to write because if you're like a literary fiction experimental writer, it's like you can, I mean, you can just like spin a wheel and pick out a year and like, who yeah. knows it's going to hit. You know? <laughs> exactly. But the thing is like, he'll, he'll even tell you himself, like he's told us that despite the fact that this, his, his, up, his forthcoming novel is, is more experimental than, than maybe my book is, or like, you know, it, I would say it falls under experimental, uh, like pretty safely. He's just, he's also just so generous as a writer, you know, like it's, it's just so funny and engaging. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know, I know I'm reading good work when I get like kind of envious. When I'm yes, reading. exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he, his book is definitely going to be second. And then, um, we're kind of unsure what'll be third because we have Katie's book. Um, mm-hmm. she's kind of in the, she's in the, I would say like kind of halfway through working on it. She's finished a draft and I've read it and I've taken a lot of notes on it. Um, and she's kind of put it on the shelf just to, you know, let it cool off a bit. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, and then we also have, um, Annie Krabenschmidt who read at dead rabbits a few months ago. And I kind of like approached her and was like, look, come on our podcast. Like you're great. And then she did. Mm-hmm. We, after we lured her into our apartment to do our podcast, I was like, all right, like, I want you to write a book for us. <laughs> now that we lured you into the apartment. Yeah. yeah, Because I, I just thought she was so great. And, uh, <laughs> I love say, it. The essay she read at Dead Rabbits, the, the reading series we do, she, it was just awesome. And um, so, yeah, she's, she's working on a series of essays. Um, and I'm not, she, she's pretty ambitious. Like she wants to get them done by October, but, you know, hopefully that'll be the case. But, you know, whenever she's done, she's done. Yeah. Um, and her, her, her collection is just going to be, it, it, it's great. She's, she's really young still. She's like 25 and mm-hmm. she writes these essays about her experience with coming out and, uh, oh, realizing her sexuality and, mm-hmm. and yeah, she's, she's just super smart and funny and, uh, yeah. I love so, it. Well, what a great, what a great, uh, group of writings to have out, you know, cause there are still so many young people that are struggling with that. So I'm sure she'll have a great impact. So are you guys, do you have a genre you're focusing in on or is it going to be just, um, cause I, I, I know now my listeners and aspiring, um, authors that are listening to you are going, okay, first do they only, are they only going to do experimental? Are, what kind of genre will you publish? Or is it just from what you read, you, if you like it? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so we definitely aren't only doing experimental fiction. That's, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Not, uh, like, uh, especially like, no, take, take, um, Annie, for example, her, it's a collection of essays. It's nonfiction. She writes far more, um, kind of, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's personal essay nonfiction. It's, it's realism, mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. you know, with a capital R, I guess you could say, um, if you can frame it like that, I guess, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, so, but, but I will say we do, we are gravitating towards literary fiction and creative nonfiction. Gotcha. Okay. okay so great. It's not like, you know, like for example, we, we just got a submission that, um, uh, I was excited about and, and, and I think it definitely bends a little toward genre, but the language was just really at a high level, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, whether or not we accept it or not, uh, it, it's just, it, it really just depends. Like mm-hmm. we're, so while, so while it, we are looking towards the literary side, um, if it's good, we'll consider it. Um, the right. only, but the only thing we're not really interested in is poetry. Um, yeah. just, just because it's not really, you know, our, our where our passion lies. Yeah. Um, you know, of, of course we read poetry and, you know, the reading series is chock full of, of poets. Uh, I would say the majority of them are poets, but, uh, but yeah, what we're looking to publish is more prose. Gotcha. Yeah. I had another group who is, um, similar, sort of similar story. He's a teacher in Oregon and he started a group called not a pipe publishing and they pretty much, um, focus in on sci-fi and fantasy. So they have a very specific genre, but he did tell me when he came on, he goes, we read a, 
a romance novel. And he goes, it was not in our, our scope, but it was so good and so funny. We're going to publish it. And I'm uh-huh. like, yeah. that's awesome. So I like that people are keeping their doors open, but you have to have a scope. Otherwise life will get crazy, right? Right. Yeah, no, t- totally true. It's, it's hard because you don't want to close any doors, but yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. It's like at some point you're just going to you're not going to be able to get through all the submissions or whatever. No, you, know? you can't. Yeah. So, oh, good. Well, I, I'm glad you gave us that information. And so if listeners are interested, um, they can keep an eye on your website and sign up for your guys's um, mailing list. And you'll, you'll talk about open submission times, things like that. Is that where you will um, announce the, that kind of information? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it on our newsletter. We'll do it, um, uh, on our site. Um, uh, we'll, we'll find creative ways to do it, whether it's on Twitter or something. Yeah. Uh, we haven't done really an open submission period quite yet because, um, it, there's just, there was just so much on our plate when we were starting this up. Um, oh, I but totally we, understand. <laughs> yeah. we, we might be getting closer to one though, because, um, I, we, we really just moved fast. Like we got mm-hmm. a lot of stuff done really fast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, uh, just keep an eye out for it. We we might do it soon, and and even you, Vicky, whenever you finish yours, send it. Awesome. Send. Well, I'll keep an eye <laughs> on it. So, so Brian, so tell us about your journey. You're going to be coming up before I get you into the reading of your book. Um, tell us about your your journey coming up to Seattle because I believe that Kate told me that you're going to be doing some readings in the local Seattle um, area. If I'm right, do you know? Yeah. Uh, can you share a little bit about that with us? So we only have one on the books for sure, but Mm -hmm. because I'm going out there, there's definitely going to be more than one. Uh, We just haven't booked any yet. um, Besides the the one at the university of Washington bookstore. It's on. Yeah. It's on October 23rd. I, I want to say it's at 7 PM, but I, cannot recall exactly but um, well that's but, a good target date so then people can be watching for it yeah and i'll you know we'll be putting it on social media and stuff like that so uh but yeah so we also want to try and get one at elliot bay books mm-hmm. uh, the we we saw kira madden read there i'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, kira madden um, um i don't think i am and i feel bad yeah. that i'm not because i probably should know <laughs> No, no. I mean, there's so many writers out there. I know. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, we just saw her read it, uh, Elliot Bay. Um, last time we were in Seattle, it was a really okay. good experience. So we're hoping to hoping to do that. Uh, we got to reach out to them. But uh, yeah, and we'll we'll of course um, spread the word on any other ones. Definitely that spread the word. So because I have a ton of listeners and author support groups in the area up in the Seattle area. I'm Southwest Washington, so I'm actually closer to Portland, Oregon. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, in Washington, everybody says you're from Seattle. I'm like, I'm not close to Seattle, but. <laughs> yeah, very, um, very different than, uh, yeah, like the rest of Washington is just very different from Seattle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, here's the deal, too. Maybe you guys can get into Powell's Books in Portland, which is a really world, no, well-known, world-renowned bookstore. They do readings as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I've, been, I've been to Powell's uh, mm-hmm. several times. Um, yeah, we, we were actually just there for in Portland for uh, AWP. I don't know if you. Oh, were gotcha. Yep, yep. No AWP. Well, yeah, that's funny. Well, I I kind of live in Powell's and I hunt out the Northwest authors from Powell's all the time. If I'm I need to uh-huh. find somebody to come on the podcast, I go to the Northwest authors section and <laughs> scout them out. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's a great bookstore. I love it there. It's really great. Okay, so so Brian, talk us through. Let's get started with the reading. So tell us the title. Give us whatever information you want for our listeners. You know the backstory, whatever you want to share with before you go into the reading. And then I'm going to go. My listeners know I go quiet and I just listen while you start reading. Um, and then I'll take us out of the podcast. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I'm just going to read the first chapter. Um, and hopefully that works out. <laughs> um, but uh, so, uh, yeah, and I, I won't give too much. Um, I won't read like the whole back copy, but basically, you know, the novel set in Seattle, um, it follows um, a, a, a 19-year-old kid named Benison whose parents are, are deaf. So, you know, from my personal experience, um, his, his dad uh, owns an interpreting company. And, but he's, he's doing video relay service as well, which is an interpreting, uh, uh, telephonic interpreting service for the deaf. Um, but he's been running minutes, which is basically just defrauding the government because they pay the, the government, uh, pays for video relay service for the deaf. Um, and running minutes basically means hiring deaf people to make calls to their interpreters in the same office. And, you know, the calls are completely phony. Um, and basically, um, 
this scheme is connected with uh, organized crime and which brings in Peter who's kind of working for this mob and uh, at some point in the novel he starts and Julia is kind of linked to this mob through family ties and those are the three main characters Julia, Benison and uh, Peter um, and however I'm going to read uh, the first chapter is through the perspective of uh, Jason Derrickson who's the athletic director at Miriattle College, which is the fictional college that Benison attends and plays basketball at. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of characters in this book. Um, I think my editor, one of my editors um, counted, there's like 157 total named characters. So, uh, so I yeah. Love it. <laughs> it's for, it's for people like me that need that kind of keeping me on my toes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so yeah, I'm going to start, uh, I'll, I'll just read the first chapter and, uh, I hope you enjoy. Um, Okay. Slumped in his office chair, Jason Derrickson gazed after the sunlight pouring through his picture window. Noon's warm shafts along with lunch had him on the nod, numb to his fresh dilemma. Jason swiveled and faced his locked door, averse to the bright bright force of joy this day seemed intent on delivering. Feet flung upon his, his varnished desk. He crossed one argyle sock over the other, bit a thumb's overgrown nail, rerunning his conversation with Rich. Let's talk net sports. And with that, Richard Brelsford, Arkansas's assistant AD, had opened scheduling negotiations for preseason volleyball and non-conference basketball. It was boring but quick work, spanning years within minutes. Just enough time for Jason to destroy six soggy inches of mesquite chicken sub. How about our boys come up there January 5, still on 2017, Rich added, his bullfrog drawl still raspier over speakerphone. Perfect, Jason said, muffled by a mouthful, which he swallowed before adding, by then we'll have Jalen Taylor at the three. The eighth grader doing windmill dunks from the foul line? You've already bagged him? Rich scoffed. You really do take to Tom's tit. Please, Jason nickered, picking out a piece of lettuce in his teeth, the last of his sub in the other hand. The kid was a fixer-upper. New high-rise on the north side, a modest family van. Mr. M- Mr. Lillard doesn't need to hear about a little this and that. Right, just plausible deniability. But Rich's chuckle was washed away by the tide of words that followed. Anyway, you better milk him while he lasts, before he's put out to pasture, if you catch my drift. Jason had just stuffed the last of his lunch into his yawning mouth when these ominous rumblings stunned him, leaving that fat lump of sub stuck soaking in his cheek. Had Jason heard him right? Did Rich truly allude to the possibility, or heaven forbid, the fact that the NCAA's president would soon be forced to abdicate? More than being being responsible for Jason's rapid ascension to athletic director here at Miriato College, President Thomas Lillard III was his mentor, his idol, his godfather emeritus. Are you, Mr. Lillard is, is what, Jason stammered. He'd misplaced his false Ozark's twang among his anxiety's burst of bugshot. Retiring, he asked. I'm just the messenger, Rich deflected, but you didn't hear it from me. What Rich meant was that he hadn't heard it from anyone either, which nobody had also heard from no one, each non-person towing the line until all that remained was the smoke of corroborative apparitions. Jason could have asked Mr. Lillard himself. They spoke on the phone weekly, but not without revealing his source, which could only be no one. He didn't lie when excusing himself from the call. Indeed, the mesquite sub that he'd, he'd scarfed for lunch lay in his gut like the sodden, bird, the sodden dead bird it mostly was. But mainly he was shaken. Put in the parlance of Rich's region, he didn't know whether to shit or whine his watch. Well, I'll let you hit the head then, Rich had chuckled before hanging up. College basketballs was a feudal system. There was the king, President Lillard, his lords, the NCAA board, and his otherwise noblemen like Jason, the ADs and coaches and money men. And Jason, he was the bell of the balls. He ruled Division, volley, Division I volleyball and wreaked hun-like havoc over basketball. But he had King Lillard to thank for his seat at court. So yeah, Rich's illusions worried him. Worse yet, he could only appeal to the gods of the grapevine, seeking Apocrypha's favor. Then again, to Jason, a pragmatist, one man's word didn't even qualify as rumor. Especially not when that one man had also buried the lead and protected his source. So, so Jason did what well-adjusted citizens were supposed to do, stuffed his anxiety away with the rest of his indifferences. The middle of the spring trimester meant six months until basketball season, yet only one week from contact period. 
At the NCAA signal, it'd be open season for unblue chip recruits, whereupon college basketball programs descend on talent like vultures, like vultures to carry on. Gary Williams would lead his army of lapel-pinned assistant coaches to recruits' homes and, or have them flown out to Seattle for the full pampering, all while Jason back-channeled through the families of unofficial reps that college, players could re- that college players couldn't sign with agents was both a blessing to Jason's desire to sign talent and a curse to his long-term ambition to reform student-athlete compensation. By, mi- by signing day in mid-May, the next class of freshmen would have picked up a rapier's cap, smiled for the flashes, and scribbled bad cursive on dotted lines. Until then, Miriadal's athletic department including its wonderkind AD, a wonderkind AD, Jason Derrickson, was resigned to passing the time between track meets and, of course, begrudging various administrative duties. Saturday would be a real drooler. Jason would drive an hour south of Seattle just to help, just to help hold an outside car, outsized cardboard check made payable to the new children's hospital in Tacoma. The rest of the weekend, he'd spend genuflecting to Gail's notes, which would own him to Tuesday at least. Tonight was supposed to be about tonight was supposed to have been about two stiff cocktails, a good whack, and six uninterrupted hours. But with this shit now from Rick, not from Rich, not a chance. He could just chuck it atop his Vesuvius of due diligence. The chicken sub would not budge. He'd have he'd have taken a stroll, but for his express aversion to areas of student congregation, which was campus during a weekday. Instead, he'd click deep into a and he'd clicked into a deep cut on Reddit posts on posts of offensive puns when the phone roused him from droll scrolling. He ran a hand through Kempt waves, the color of burnt corn by a dry, the color of corn burnt by a dry spell and answered. Yeah. He said, hello, this is up. This is interpreter. This is interpreter eight, four, three, two with Baron Reich interpreting services. I'm calling on behalf of a deaf or hard of hearing individual for Jason Derrickson. Jason wriggled upright, pushing the bridge of his glasses. Excuse me, he said. Hello, Mr. Derrickson? Hello, he repeated. Silence for several moments. Jason nearly hung up. Yes, hi, the interpreter said. I'm calling for Jason Derrickson. This is he, he said firmly. Hello, Mr. Derrickson, how are you? May I ask who's calling? He grimaced at the phone like it had said something rude. This is Mark Barenreich of Barenreich Interpreting Services. My, my son Benison plays at Bellevue High. Coach Williams came to see him this summer and said he'd be in touch. Mr. Barenreich heard a lot about your son, Jason lied, grinning back in his chair. Kids got Jeff Gordon wheels. Gary had good things to say about him. My son is excited about the chance to talk to him again. Well, uh, clearing his throat. It's a bit of a waiting game right now. Mr. Derrickson, I want to work with you to see that my son plays here. Jason rubbed the bridge of his nose, glasses begrudging him the itching space. I'm sorry, Mr. Barenreich, but I can't make any guarantees. We're obviously interested, but I suggest you and your son plan according to the offers that come your way. That's what I'm doing now, Mr. Derrickson. Planning. Such a stolid tone layered over such an implication unnerved Jason. Such a tone pulled his mind's eye back from what he thought was his wide circumference of certainty. Jason could make bribes with a hand glued to his foot. Here's what you did. You never involved the coaches themselves. You never paid off in liquid. You had trusted third party. You had a trusted third party make anonymous purchases of house deeds or vehicle pink slips or whatever appreciable or at least salvageable asset that would suit your recruits desires. And lastly, you never ever mentioned to the recruit or their family who that third party was. So help you God, but accepting bribes, he'd failed to imagine and realizing this now was like catching a glimpse of himself in a lake after years without a mirror. Furthermore, it lent retrospective significance to Gary's comments about the kid and his father. Benison's three-star recruit status had kept him off Jason's radar, though he did recall a word for or two from Gary, who liked him, but had also pointed out the, quote, lack of corporate loopholes built into my basketball program. Translated from Gary's speak, a lack of corporate loopholes meant a few things. That, he did, that the kid didn't know a day's honest work, that he didn't know thankless work, what it meant to shovel shit into the furnace so the bigwigs could do their jobs, and that a hothouse flower, dependent on his father's cronyism, would inevitably wilt on a court teeming with cutthroat a- athletes. Ingenuous as G- Gary may have been, ever the dogged moralist, the hard worker, the sucker, he was right about Barenreich. 
both the kid and his father. The prig was a cogent bastard, Oscar Wilde in Philistine's clothes, but if Gary had seen this coming, he must have been aware of, of player assets off the books. And yet, if he'd been aware of such activities, then why pretend at ethical, at ethical dogma? Why waste so much breath on all that edification of young men nonsense? It didn't make any damn sense. Maybe Jason had underestimated him. Maybe he was no sucker at all. Maybe he was the greatest artist of their time. Maybe he was the Kaiser Soze of college basketball. The sun was a flaming lemon sliced by skyscrapers leased to Azalai, the tech company responsible for Seattle's ongoing transformation and, apropos of big business, cause for both controversy and celebration. The spill of light drenched his office's matte blue walls and white molding. Jason made his decision. I'm listening, he nearly whispered. That's good, the interpreter said. Do you know how much a Mercedes XLS costs, Mr. Derrickson? Jason looked up at his door, still closed. No, he said, but I'm sure it's quite a figure. Beatsman Rose, the interpreter lilted. It's an exquisite vehicle. I think it would suit the youngest board member on record. Excuse me, Jason said, and heard the interpreter's whoosh and salivated smacks. My company provides transcription services for the NCAA's disability divisions. CART, Typewell, C-Print, you name it. Yes, ADA compliance, said Jason. Speaking of shoveling excrement, much of Jason's first year at Muriattle had involved spearheading every shit-munching initiative known to modern, nominally liberal man. Though deaf access services were a diktat handed down by the NCAA's board, it was upon Jason to carry them. It was upon Jason to carry them out via closed captioning clauses included in all media contracts, along with live interpreters for for important press conferences. Good, the interpreter said. It seems we have an understanding. It seems we have an understanding, Mr. Derrickson. Only this time, you won't have to dry hump the president to get half of what you really wanted in the first place. Maybe take a few days to remind yourself exactly what it is you want, and we'll be in touch. And just before Jason removed the phone from his ear, this is interpreter 8432 with Baron Reich Interpreting Services concluding the call. Have a nice day. Reminding him that another set of eyes and ears had garnered all this. Jason was no fool. He figured interpreters were bound to confidentiality. But that was just the thing. He was no fool. And how in the hell did this Mark Barenreich know how, what had happened with Mr. Lillard in Chicago? Had he just bribed him with an XLS, too? Cursing all things cryptic, Jason rattled the phone home, then went still. Head canted, drawn back like a curious dog, he stared at his hand, still on the phone. The proximity of these past two calls was suspicious. Had this Mark Barenreich put a little birdie in Rich's ear? Or some other no-ones who'd then told Rich nobody? in which case Jason's best option would be to hedge. To paraphrase from Jason's professional Bible, Iron Jaw, it was always best to keep the maximum number of parties happy. Yes, he'd nudge Gary about the Barenreich kid, just enough to satisfy the kid's father, but not enough to be involved. If it didn't work out, so be it. He'd still have a seat at court right beside Mr. Lillard. He dialed Gary's extension 2-0, asked about a few, and was a bit surprised when Muriel's head basketball coach picked up his office phone midday. After brief, after brief overtures, Jason weaseled his way toward the topic of the hour. With Jonesy, still li- with Jonesy still liable to sign in Maryland, and I'm just planning for the worst here, Jason said, I guess the Barenreich kid becomes an option. Jason's thumb slid along the landline's, torti- the landline's tortile wire. He's competing in the summer. We're not above a double-double kid in AAU. Well, I appreciate your, in- your input, Jason. Anyway, I'll be down for a rundown, Jason replied. Got Gail up my ass about reporting the calls. Wish that woman would stick to volleyball and assisting the AD. Kids are going to play where they want to play, he chuckled. Got to keep the playing field even, Gary said. The line popped static. Jason flipped off his phone, brought it back to ear, and said, Right. Well, I'll be by in a bit. Hanging up, he fired a finger gun into a skull. Jason had learned early on that if you wanted to thrive, you couldn't run from choice simply because making one necessarily contradicted another. You couldn't be afraid of desire, couldn't, retru- couldn't treat it like a zero-sum game played within the confines of a starvation economy. You could only shrink from choice, recessing into a space so useless, your only contradiction was against life itself. After meeting Mr. Lillard, Jason had instead chosen to survive, necessarily at cost. His laptop woke to a Reddit thread woke to the Reddit thread, r backslash offensive puns, and he read the latest post, which, 
Sorry. Uh, and he read the latest post. He let a little air from his mirth valve, laughter like a pneumonic sigh, pneumatic sigh. It was funny because, well, it sort of worked. The joke. Anorexia let, tears lives apart. Were there rumors about Mr. Lillard or not, it had taken Berenreich's call to get him to gauge his stress levels. He sat back, closed his eyes, listened for his breathing, rich and full. Jason's next moves felt like the flurries before a snowstorm in the snow globe of his mind. First, he'd find out whether his call with Daddy Berenreich could be expunged from record. Then he'd keep nudging about the, about the Berenreich kid. He'd put little birds in the assistant coach's ears, the kid's monster stat lines, Bellevue high records, the virtues of plucking local talent, which would then send him buzzing at Gary, but only after Jason continued to sow, sow doubt over Mike Jones' signing. Once the buzz grew to a dull roar, he'd have Gail schedule a coach's visit to the Berenreich household a harmless trip across the 520 bridge. While working to cover his tracks, his blizzard of manipulation would fuck with Gary's head until the old ball coach wouldn't know whether to shit or shovel the snow, or whatever it was that Rich would say. And that's the end of uh, chapter one. Oh my goodness, Brian, you're taking uh, us down a CD path that I didn't even know existed. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the the characters... I would, I would say are unlikable. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I well, I honestly think the only character in this book that's like really redeeming is Julia. Um, other than that, it's like Benison, like you'll, you come to like realize why he kind of is the way he is. Uh, Peter, the same way. Um, but they're both not really like that likable, you know? <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Fantastic. Well, good job. Thank you for sharing with us. Again, that's Emerald City um, listeners. So um, if you do go on to my show notes, find um, Brian's website and um, Dead Rabbit Press um, information will be there as well. Follow him on Facebook. I, I got on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so our, our site. I, I, did you? I think you said Dead Rabbits Press. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's deadrabbitsbooks.com. Oh, I apologize. Dead yeah, Rabbit Books. <laughs> It'll be correct on the show notes. <laughs> That's right. No, and it gives me an, ex- an excuse to say it twice. So. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, <laughs> and then um, make sure, listeners, that if you head, uh, when you find out Brian, where he's reading at, head there, go, go listen to him. Make sure you tell him you heard him on the podcast. And then uh, we'll bring you back on when you have another book. I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually starting to outline the next one already. So, oh, fantastic! Well, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing you here um, in a couple of months. Yeah, thank you so much, Vicky. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.